Welcome to the Cookery by the Book podcast with me, Susie Chase. My name is Bill Yassis, and my cookbook is called The Sweet Spot, Dialing Back Sugar and Amping Up Flavor. Your motto is Dialing Back Sugar and Amping Up Flavor. These recipes in the cookbook were inspired by your years under the Bush and Obama administrations. Talk a bit about using sugar like salt and how you use sugar as a flavor enhancer. That's exactly uh, my philosophy is that uh, I feel like sugar has become a crutch for many bakers today and that too much of it uh, finds its way into our desserts. And um, never mind the rest of the meal, even in savory cooking, a lot of sugar shows up. So uh, what I like to do is use it like salt in the sense that um, you put in just enough that you know that you're having a dessert, but not so much that it overpowers the other flavors. And what's amazing about desserts is that we've kind of forgotten that there's a whole range of ingredients which really taste good, like all the different fruits. Uh, Especially now you have the plums, the pears, the apples of all different kinds in the farmer's market. And, uh, and the berries. Then in addition to that, you also have a lot of grains in desserts. There's not just wheat flour. There can be quinoa flour or millet or, or um, rye, for example, which we use in the book. So all of those things, as well as nuts and, and uh, herbs and spices, can be brought to the fore by reducing the sugar. And it's not as easy as it sounds. So you can't just take the sugar out of a dessert because sugar is also makes for texture and and uh, structure. Uh, but if you if you you know sort of calibrate it just right, uh, I think we can improve our desserts with this method. In developing these recipes for the cookbook, you asked yourself three questions. One of which was, what would make each bite more interesting and flavorful? You have focused on flavor and deliciousness throughout this cookbook. Can you talk a little bit about that? One of the sort of um, negative effects or negative um, paths that we've been following as bakers and pastry chefs is uh, what I would call too much efficiency, too much um, thought that, well, uh, you know, let's streamline the process, make everything in advance, freeze it, and then pull it out of the freezer and just decorate it uh, for the customer when the time comes. Now, that can be part of, a, of any bake shop or pastry chef's repertoire, is to have some very basic products and freezers are much better today than they used to be. They don't, uh, they don't fluctuate in temperature as much, so you don't have the damage to the cell walls of, of your product. However, I think there's an overuse of freezers, uh, and what I'm advocating in this book is more freshly made desserts, yeasted desserts, uh, more sort of the way a chef or cook thinks about cooking, where you bring fresh ingredients together, put them together, in a way that can be served fresh to the guest. Uh, so that's one strain. The other strain is in in baking and pastry. There's, I think, too much emphasis on decoration. And so uh, even in the, in the fanciest restaurants or in, in any bake shop, a lot of effort is put into making the dessert look in a particular way. And that sometimes is at the um, – is – 
at, for the demise of flavor. You lose flavor when you're spending too much time putting, um, you know, these finishing touches or these elaborate kind of sugar decorations on a dessert. And you never eat those sugar decorations. You take them off and put them to the side. Right. They just push them away. I hate anyway. those. So, <clears throat> I hate them, too. <laughs> uh, I'm glad we agree on it. So, no, but it's really true. I'm, I wish people would spend more time. I mean, I'd rather have like a freshly made souffle or uh, one, of the, one of the desserts we make in the book is the, is the f- babas or what the French call savarin. And um, so those baked fresh and then soaked in a, in a delicious uh, infusion can really be a great dessert. But um, they don't look like that much on the plate. They look like little blobs of sort of soaked bread, which is what they are, but they're delicious. I can't imagine it's easy to get a job in the White House. How did your position with the Bush family come about? So I was um, I was quite surprised. Actually, just received this call one day, which I thought was a joke, um, from the person who does who sort of is in charge of this is called the Social Secretary. It's a very important job in every White House. It's, it's the person, man or woman, who. Uh, is the liaison with the first lady for all the entertaining. So that office works together to determine not only things like the menu, the tablecloth, the flowers, but also who will be invited, where they will be seated. They work out the the seating plan, the whole, they, they liaise with the security organization. So it's a very important job. And that person is the one that called me and asked me to come try out for the job. Uh, there were four or five other people who did as well, and um, I was lucky enough to get the job. Oh, my God. How nerve-wracking was that? It was quite nerve-wracking, I must <laughs> admit. Um, but at the same time, uh, I felt certainly very proud and, and honored to have been asked, even if I didn't get the job. Uh, so, And it was a chance to go and work in the White House kitchen to do my little sample tasting. Uh, So I just looked at it as I think the healthiest way to look at these things is if you don't get it, you don't get it. It's just, it's an interesting experience to have gone through. And that's how I did look at it. Um, But then I, um, I, you know, I really put heart and soul into it. So I, I felt gratified when the final result came out. I adore the White House. I come from a really, really old American family and was so fortunate to attend the very last White House tour of the Obama administration. Oh, really? Oh, wow. It was incredible. So my little boy and I stopped and looked at the garden for a long time, and we Uh wondered if the new administration would keep it up. Talk a little bit about your involvement in Michelle Obama's garden. Did you use the fruits and vegetables out of the garden for your pies and pastries? Absolutely. Um, Yeah, it was an amazing thing. Uh, Early in the administration, Mrs. Obama uh, asked the chefs to help work with her on, on improving sort of food choices in America, especially kids' food choices and uh, in school foods. Um, But in general, just to kind of have a conversation about how we eat, um, how can we eat better, and how can we improve the health outcomes related to food. 
And the first thing she did was plant this garden on the South Lawn. And all of us chefs were part of that, and proudly so. We had uh, young elementary school students from Washington, D.C. and other cities come to help plant the garden. Then they'd come back a few months later and harvest the very things that they had planted. And then we would cook with them on the South Lawn. It was just, I mean, what better way to spend the day? I mean, no matter what's going on in the headlines, uh, if you can see kids having fun in a garden and cooking with the things that they pulled out of the ground, um, you know, you really feel like there's hope for the future. Yeah. Um, so that was a, uh, it was a wonderful part of my time there. And it's really what may inspired me to leave the White House and to go on and do educational projects um, with schools that include cooking in the classroom and, and getting kids to eat better. I believe the perfect pie starts with a perfect crust. Can you give us some perfect crust tips? Sure. Um, well, the one we always say is don't overwork the dough. I mean, it's best <clears throat> you can mix it in the uh, food processor or an electric mixer, but don't have a heavy hand on the button. You have to turn it off and on frequently just until it comes together. <clears throat> the other thing I do is I put um, – so you cut the cold butter, small pieces, mix that with half the flour, and let that come together until it's a crumbly kind of mess. Then add the rest of the flour and finally the water and turn the machine on just the minimal amount of time. The reason I do that flour in two parts is that if you're just if you put all the flour in, it takes a long time for that to become a sort of homogeneous mass. And what you want to do is just the minimum mixing. So you do it halfway first, half the flour, then the rest, then the water. And make sure that the dough is very cold when you work with it. Gluten strands don't form as quickly when the dough is cold. So you're trying to avoid gluten formation, which is what makes a pie dough tough or leathery. One holiday tradition at the White House is the, gin is the gingerbread house. Where did you get your inspiration for it every year? Well, um, yes, exactly. It's a tradition, and it had it had been for many years. <clears throat> I mean, there's even a, a gingerbread house um, photographed uh, with Pat Nixon next to it. So it goes back to the 60s. Um, the inspiration I, I took from you know, the historical elements of the White House. There's a book by William Seale about the White House, which really covers it from the very beginning, from George Washington's early uh, surveying of Washington, D.C., and it's fascinating. So I tried to to use those historical background in order to come up with a new idea each year. What were President Obama and Bush's favorite pies? <laughs> I'm sure everyone asks you uh, that. President Bush, uh, no, not not so specifically. <clears throat> President Bush, uh, I would say peach pie. Um, you know, he's uh, he he's famously on the record as loving desserts, and I think peach pie was his favorite. President Obama, it it sort of grew over the years. He he started out loving banana cream pie. <clears throat> that that was uh, and that sort of never left. Um, but then he moved into. Um, he did love pumpkin pie in season, and um, he sort of wound up, I think, towards the end of his administration with the fruit pies because we were getting fruits from the farmer's markets. So they were very fresh in season, and he loved that. Okay, so I ordered a pumpkin pie from your company called Perfect Pie, 
and I have to tell you, it's the best pumpkin pie I have ever tasted. Oh, you're very sweet. Thank you. <laughs> and the packaging was exquisite, too, in, in this beautiful oh, wooden box with a red bow. Yeah. Tell us about your perfect pie company. Yeah, it's an online company. Um, we have, uh, it's perfectpie.com, and you can order pies. We send them to you overnight. They're, um, they're traditional pie recipes, but they're sort of crowd pleasers like cherry and pumpkin, pecan and apple. And uh, they come in this really beautiful uh, carved wooden box uh, that is, uh, keeps them nice and sturdy. So <clears throat> even though they get mailed, uh, they, they arrive in good shape. And since I live in the West Village, I was able to pick the pie up at the Barrow Street Theater. Now, what's your involvement with the Sweeney Todd production there at the theater? If you try to, like, plot your life out uh, in early years, you can't imagine the crazy things that you get involved with. <laughs> when I opened my pie company, um, the producers of Sweeney, a new production of Sweeney Todd, were looking for somebody to make the pies. And so they just happened to see the same week they were here, they're from London, uh, that this pie company opened. So they called me and asked me uh, if I would do it. And I do have to say, I didn't say yes right away. Um, because if people know the story, uh, it's about a, the demon barber of Fleet Street who he kills his customers and then gives the bodies to his friend who makes pies out of them, Mrs. Lovett. And yeah. uh, so this kind of a gruesome story and uh, I didn't want it to sort of turn people off to the whole idea of pie making, but um, it's worked out well. I, people can separate between theatrical fantasy and the real world. So um, what we do is we make pies, and you can order a pie to enjoy in the theater an hour before the show. So it's not really a theater. It's been converted into a pie shop. So there are uh, benches and tables that you enjoy your pie on. We make a a uh, chicken pot pie and a vegetarian pie and you can have your pie in the pie shop and then the show starts after that's finished and the actors actually dance and sing and and like kill each other on top of the table so it's a very <laughs> uh like in your face kind of production I walk by there all the time, and, and I always saw the big sign that said hot pies, and I was wondering what, what do hot pies have to do with the theater? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's actually it's one of the Sondheim songs uh, in the second act is hot pies, and it's after Mrs. Lovett has started using humans as the meat in her pies, and her pie company takes off. It becomes very successful and lucrative because she doesn't have to buy the meat anymore. <laughs> so, I mean, if you, you hear this gruesome story and then you hear it's a musical comedy, it doesn't seem to add up, but um, Sondheim's a genius and somehow he pulled it off. <clears throat> Thank you, Bill Yassis, Crustmaster, for coming on Cookery by the Book podcast. Thanks. It was fun to be here. Follow me on Instagram at Cookery by the Book. Twitter is I am Susie Chase. And download your kitchen mixtapes, Music to Cook By, on Spotify at Cookery by the Book. And as always, subscribe in Apple Podcasts. Mm -hmm.